Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. When you're dealing with cancer, maybe you've just been diagnosed, or maybe you're going through treatment, or maybe it's someone you love and you're trying to get through it together. Whatever the case may be, you're on this crazy rollercoaster of emotions and feelings that are, that are hard to put into words. You're under attack on so many levels, and there is so much at stake that you need to do some work to get it under control, to get it to a point where you, you want it to be. And that's what Jill and I are talking about today. Practical ways to take charge of your life as you tackle cancer on every level, through every twist and turn, because you need to win and you want to do it on your terms. Hi, Jill. I'm really excited for us to be doing this again. Thanks, Joe. I'm pleased to be here. That's fantastic. So, Jill, I thought we could talk about a couple of things today. And maybe we can start to talk about some of the phases that you go through emotionally uh, when you transition across the cancer continuum, when you go from your diagnosis and, and treatment and survivorship. And how do we go through these emotions with the, the whole range of it and, and how do we deal with them? So should we start looking at our diagram here? Yeah, so a diagram that I quite often refer to is called the Valley of Despair. There's been a lot of research by well-regarded people and it's the process of transition of your emotions starting off and it becomes like a roller coaster ride. Anxiety, happiness, fear, threat, guilt, depression, hostility, gradual acceptance, and then moving forward. But more importantly, how does that then relate back to your cancer continuum? So when you're just prior to your first session and your diagnosis, you've got anxiety. You know something's not quite right. You're worried about the future. So anxiety builds with the fear of the unknown. It's like, what's going to happen to me? How do I deal with this what if so the way to deal with your anxiety is bring yourself back to the moment the present time don't dwell on what has happened in the past because that's what we base our experiences on what's happened in the past we know what's happening at the present time and none of us can dictate what's happening in the future and that's where anxiety lives it's around that future state so the anxiety of and the worry that you have oh my goodness, I'm going to my oncologist. What are they going to tell me? I've just had tests. I know something's wrong. What if? So it's going through that stressful time before you actually have your initial diagnosis. Then you get to the point where, okay, I've been to the oncologist. I have been diagnosed with cancer, but you know, you've got a definite thing that you can associate with. It's like, yes, I have cancer. So in a way, You're sad that you've got cancer, but you're happy that you've got a diagnosis. That fear of the unknown now has a name to it. So that's coming through your diagnosis as well. And so I'll just quickly jump in there, Jill. And I think also the happiness can be associated with maybe an initial treatment. Like in in my case, I know I had uh, an operation for uh, testicular cancer to to remove the testicle. And and I was told the cancer is gone. I thought, you know, um, I'm on top of the world, fantastic, I can move on with my life. And little did I know that three months later, it actually turned out that the cancer has spread. And so, yeah, it, it was it was like you said, a roller coaster. Yeah. 
And, and that's what the whole process is. It's never just a straight continuum. Like you're faced with um, different experiences along the way. And that's where you need to tune into what's actually happening. Be aware of how you're feeling. And it's okay to say, I feel. Putting a name to your feelings helps you deal with them. It's like, I know when Sam was first diagnosed, we knew that um, with Sam's prostate cancer, he was having trouble going to the toilet, going and urinating. We didn't know whether it was kidneys. We didn't know whether it was prostate. We didn't know whether it was obesity. We didn't know what it was. And it's like that anxiety. What happens if I can't wee anymore? And it's like, ah. So when he went off and to the oncologist and had all these tests and it came back, yes, you've got prostate cancer. And so, okay, now we know what's going on. He went in and had his biopsy and they identified where it was in the prostate and then they put a plan together and it's like, okay, we're taking control of this again. So that happiness comes in there. But then you move really quickly back from the happiness to the fear. Yes, I do have cancer. I have a plan in place, but what if? What happens when? And then quite often you spin off into, no, this isn't happening to me. This is not real. Maybe they've got it wrong. So seeking those opinions of others, having trust in your oncologist, having trust in your family. So that's bringing all of that back in. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, you start questioning yourself. You start saying things uh, like, what have I done to deserve this? Yeah. Why is it happening to me? What's going to happen if I die? What, what, about, what about my partner? What, what about my family? Yeah. What, about, what am I leaving behind? What's my legacy? Exactly. What happens to my, my partner, my child? What have I done to make a difference in this world? What am I leaving behind? What will I be remembered as? A good, honest person that's been kind and loving and caring or a person that's got cancer, that's been totally consumed by everything. So then you start to have your choices again. Then you start to bargain. And it's like, well, if I do this, maybe it'll all go away. So I know, and I look back and smile. When Sam was first diagnosed, it was like, yes, we did seek um, other tests, other opinions. And then it was like, okay, well, if Sam drinks pomegranate juice, maybe this will go away. If we eat more meals with cabbage in it, maybe this will go away. So you start to do that whole bargaining thing. Looking back, we were so caught up in that that it, it was consuming because we thought, well, if we do this, maybe everything will be okay rather than just having the trust and the confidence. Yes, you do have to have your action plan there, but it's it's the guilt, isn't it? It's, it uh, is, yeah. Again, it's a guilt that y you did something wrong, that, that cancer might be happening for a reason, yeah. whereas the truth is yeah. that it's a lottery. We, we know the research tells us that it's completely random, but, yeah. but we feel guilty about not living the right lifestyle, not making you know, better decisions along the way, not having done enough in terms of, you know, what we talked about, the legacy, in terms of being present, in terms of your career or whatever, that all of this guilt suddenly comes up, doesn't it? Yeah. And just takes over. It, it does. It, it can be quite consuming. It can take over your life, that whole guilt feeling that, oh, was it because I was mean to a kid at school when I was at high school? Is it because I haven't spoken and am I now being punished? Is it because my wife and I argue 
and this is a way that the greater being is showing me and bringing me back to being a good person. So it's going through that whole guilt. If you allow that to take over, you actually feel defeated. Now, that's not good for anybody mentally nor physically. So when a person has cancer, feeling defeated means you're giving the control to the cancer. That will take over your body. That will define who you are. I am the person with cancer. It's not hiding from it, but it's not being defeated by it. Have that fighting spirit. It does take you a little while. Like It took Sam a while not to feel defeated. You do become introspective. You do go through depression. I saw Sam change from a happy-go-lucky person who was always had his own opinions to being a person that just wanted to sit on the couch and do nothing. He wanted to sleep. And I recognised that that wasn't normal behaviour for him. So once again, we went off to the doctor and Sam was diagnosed with depression. So that took a toll. It was like I'd lost my life partner. Yes, he now had cancer, but he had disappeared. And it's like, that's hard to deal with from a, a support person as a, a lifelong partner. It's like, I want that person back. So you then, as a support person, put in a lot of extra energy to make sure that the person that's been diagnosed is getting the, the best care and the best treatment available. So you're always on that watch. I'm forever vigilant, even now. And like Sam's into the survivorship part of the continuum. Um, but I'm forever vigilant, making sure that is he okay? So it's quite draining from a carer's point of view as well. Yeah, and I know we talked about depression, and that is probably the really lowest point of, of this valley of despair. And kind of guilt is there as well, all of these really negative emotions that bring you down. You know, Jill, one of the things that really kind of helped me, and this probably happened somewhere when I actually started treatment, for example, when I was on my chemotherapy, what really kind of hit home for me that one day, I feel like I accepted cancer. It hmm. sounds so ridiculous when I say it, because I mean, obviously, like it's happening, right? But I, I think I was I was in denial, and I think that's why a lot of these conflicting emotions were coming up for me. Things like guilt and being threatened and, and fear is because like I didn't really acknowledge it. Hmm. I didn't really deal with it. And when I finally realized, yes, it's happening. It's here. It's not part of me you know it's almost like another being you know that's that's maybe almost like next to me yeah. you know that's how it helped me to, to kind of put it aside and say well yes cancer is here but it's not inside me it's here on the side and that kind of helped me a little bit to start to come out of being in this really negative space and to come out of it and try, try to kind of actually deal with it in a more proactive way yeah yeah definitely it's acknowledging not letting cancer define who you are but acknowledging yes it's there and once you actually give it a name you can then determine what you're going to do with it by avoiding that that whole situation of like no I'm in denial it's not really happening to me you're avoiding what the issue really is yes you do have cancer and then it's like but what are we going to do about it so once you've defined it and acknowledged that it exists, don't let it take over who you are as a person. Yes, it will take over your life for a little while while you're going through all your treatment and stuff like that, but don't let it define who you are. You're still your authentic self. 
and that's what you need to stay true to rather than being something or somebody that you're not. And Jill, and just um, talking about looking at all these stages and, you know, we talk about the person who's going through cancer diagnosis, through treatment and hopefully, you know, obviously into survivorship. So in terms of your perspective as the partner, was this a, a similar journey or how was it different for you? Because you obviously had to, to support Sam through it. What was that experience like? For me as a carer, I went through all of those range of emotions as well. Right from when we knew something was wrong before the diagnosis, I was worried. What is it? So that anxiety. We all have, especially if you've got a lifelong partner, you've got your life plan. Yes, I'm going to get married, have kids, experience things with my partner and live a long and productive life. When something happens and goes wrong, I started to think, is my life plan changing? And it's like, you have to rethink, not just Sam, who he was and what he was dealing with, but what does that mean to me? Am I going to lose my lifelong partner? Is my life plan going to change? So the anxiety there, and that still happens, especially when Sam comes up to his regular checkups. It's like, is it going to be okay? So that anxiety, this roller coaster ride just doesn't go in one direction. You can go backwards and forwards, depending on what's happening in your life. So then once Sam went to the oncologist and was diagnosed, I was happy that he was doing something about it. But then it comes back in. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? That fear of the unknown again. And then feeling a threat. Yes, my partner may be taken away from me. I didn't go into depression. The way I deal with it is to define it, have an action plan. Then I feel like I'm in control. So I had my plan. My plan A was to be with Sam as my lifelong partner. I had to think about what my plan B might be. Sounds horrible, but I then had to consider what if he's not in my life? Would I survive? So thinking about that, yes, I did go through denial. No, this is not happening. If we go on a holiday, maybe we'll forget about this. I don't think I ever got to the point of feeling defeated because I was determined I was going to do everything possible to one, help Sam get through it, and two, help me get through it. If I ended up being defeated, I wouldn't be able to support Sam. But that's a fine line on your emotions and you just have to keep it in check. You just have to acknowledge that that may occur, but keep it in check. Um, hostility. Yeah, I was really angry. And it's like, why is this happening to us? We're not bad people. In the world as a whole, there's some bad people out there. Why wasn't it them? Yeah. <laughs> I was really angry. Why did it happen to us? We've got family, friends, work colleagues. Why was this happening to us? And it's like, oh, geez, what are we going to do about it? So the way we dealt with that was talking to people, that communication with the people around you. And then we found that they became supporters of both Sam and I. Our friends and family would do regular checks. How are you going? Are you okay? Is there anything that we can do for you? So having that network helped us along the way, which then took us up into gradual acceptance. So Sam was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer quite a while ago. He has had treatment and his last check, which was over a year ago, he was traveling really well. The cancer had shrunk to a minute section and it hadn't spread. 
So it's like, okay, so his prognosis uh, was good. His life expectancy was going back up, which then gave us hope that there may be a future. Now, Sam's coming up to his checkup again. I've gone back to feeling anxious about it, the anxiety. What happens if something changes? It's always that fear of the unknown. But I know that once he goes in and he gets the results of his tests, we'll then be able to put our action plan back in place and keep moving forward. So always moving forward. Sometimes you get so overwhelmed by... I have cancer, my partner has cancer, that you feel like you're marking time. You feel like the whole world is stopping around you. But by acknowledging that it exists, having plans, having your support network around you, both you and your partner, the carer, um, you feel like you've got a way forward. And I also want to um, come back to something we touched on earlier, Jill, about you know, looking at your self-image and, and thinking about your future life and how that looks like. Because for me, that's definitely changed, but I think in a more positive way. And, and if we you know, talk about the other end of the spectrum where we talk about moving forward, I think one thing that's helped me to deal with, you know, this checkups and this, the unknown that comes with that was finding new meaning in things or having different things, like, for example, do, working on, on this podcast, you know, writing, all of those things give me an additional meaning and a new direction that kind of really feels my perspective with something different. Did, did you have a similar experience? Yeah, exactly. It's like looking for the positive in everything that we do. Yep, there's positive and negative. There's that balance. But rather than dwelling on the negative with everything. Enjoy the moment that you're in. Enjoy the experiences that you're having. Yes, you're going to have challenges along the way, but change your perspective, like you mentioned, on how you feel about things, how you view situations. Think about where you want to put your energy. Do you want to put your energy into being sad and angry, or do you want to put your energy into something that you can actually physically do? Enjoy the people that you're with. Because even though we've all got a lifelong plan, life's finite. So take the moments that you're in and make the most of them. If your child smiles, be happy about that. If your wife achieves something, be happy for her. With Sam, I get enjoyment out of little steps forward that I can see him making. For me personally, I've gone off and I've done study. I've achieved. Sam supported me in that. So changing that perspective. So feeling like you're back in control of things rather than saying, there's nothing I can do about this. So that whole perspective, be in the moment, enjoy what's going on, change your perception of what's happening around you, have that situational awareness. Yeah, that, that's fantastic, Jill. And I think this is a perfect lead into talking about addressing those needs that you have across the spectrum of Maslow's Pyramid. So um, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what that is and then we'll probably dive into each stage yeah. and, and talk about some specific tactics to deal with it? It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's formed in the base of a pyramid or a triangle. The base is physiological. The next step up is safety. The next step up is love and be belonging. The next step up is esteem. And at the top of the pyramid is self-actualization. So going right back down to the bottom, physiological, 
that covers off breathing, food, water, sex, sleep, homeostasis and excretion. So when your pre-diagnosis stage, you need to listen to your body. What's your body telling you? Something's different in one of these areas. So the hierarchy of needs is starting to be threatened at the foundational level. And as we all know, if the house doesn't have strong foundations, the house doesn't stand. So look at your nutrition, your exercise, follow up get those opinions, get your diagnosis happening, look at what your treatment plan is. Yeah, and also what I want to add into that, that one of the things that really affected me during, even after the diagnosis, was that all of a sudden every single thing, you know, every little symptom is now in your mind. Exactly. Is about cancer. Yep. Headache. Is there, is there, is there yeah. a tumor in my brain? Yeah. So all of, this, all, all of a sudden, again, and I think that for me, this came back to taking those questions and looking at them objectively. So how I would do it in a practical terms is the exercise that I call an outcome map. I uh, literally take out a piece of paper and I draw out whatever that symptom is and I, and I write down what the options are and the likelihood against each. And that kind of makes it real for me. Okay, so now I can look at it objectively because it's now out, out on paper and say, yeah, you know what, I'm probably completely exaggerating this. And or if in another case, if I think, well, actually, yeah, this could be related to cancer, um, or it might be something else that needs attention, then I take that and I make a decision right there and then to go and see my GP or writing down a list of questions from a next oncologist appointment or asking an oncology nurse. So all of those things, you know, monitoring yourself and getting in touch with yourself allow you to go back to from a position where you feel threatened on a most basic level to actually trying to have an action plan. Exactly. And it comes down to, in project management, there's a term called risk management. It's identifying all the risks, all the things that could go wrong. And this helps you overcome your anxiety as well. Because if you can list down all of the things that you're thinking about that might happen in the future, you can then end up with a mitigation. If this happens, then I can do this. Once again, it's taking control, having that plan, having a way forward with all of this. So it comes down to the safety, which is the next rung on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's around the security of body, of employment, of resources, of morality, of the family, of health and property. So doing that whole risk management, what happens if this happens to my body? What happens if this happens to my job? What happens if we don't have the money to have our house? What happens if I become mean and angry? my morality? What happens to my family? What happens to my health? What happens to the property that I have? So it's all about that action plan, choosing the right specialist, getting a second opinion if necessary, letting your work know, supporting your partner, letting your friends know that you're going through this so that your support network becomes a safety shield around you, that you can actually start to deal with some of this, but also be mindful that your carer is going through this as well. So uh, supporting your partner both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you mentioned having you know, your circle of people in your life, those people who truly care for you and support you. And um, yeah, that's definitely one of the things about 
about it is being transparent about what you are going through, both as the person who, you know, if, if you have cancer or if you're, if you're the partner of someone with cancer, it's really important to open up and say, yes, this cancer thing is driving me crazy. Yes, I, I really have no idea what's going to happen and, I, and I'm afraid. Yeah. And, and saying, I need help with this. I need help with getting to the hospital. I need help with doing the groceries. Or I just want to have a conversation, you know, about normal stuff. Come and have a cup of coffee with me. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, we talked about this uh, before, that sometimes people are afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong they thing. They don't know how to talk to um, people with cancer. Yeah, exactly. They don't know what to say. So some people will back away. So you might lose friends that you've had for a long time, not because that you've been a bad person, it's because they don't know how to deal with it. So this comes to the next rung on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, love and belonging, which is friendship, family and sexual intimacy. Now, when Sam was diagnosed with cancer, we had adult children and we sat them all down and we discussed all of this. They have been an amazing support. So Sam didn't feel alienated from the family. He felt supported. My kids have helped me come to terms with the roller coaster of the emotions because it is. I know that I can speak to them and they'll say, what do you need? Come and have a cup of coffee with me, mum. Dad, how are you going? We also spoke to our wider circle of friends. So making them aware of what was going on, letting people know that, yes, you are afraid, but you're not going to be defined by it. Sexual intimacy. A lot of people would sit and say, I've got cancer. I cannot come close to you. And that's not what it's all about. It's about being in the moment with the person. Enjoy that special hug. They're still who they were before. It's just that they've got a diagnosis of cancer. So have that gratitude for who that person is. They haven't changed willingly. They're still your lifelong partner. So time box what's going on. Is this going to continue forever? And understanding that then you can deal with it and provide updates to your family and friends and help manage expectations, especially from a carer's point of view, managing expectations of what did Sam think I was going to do to support him? And it's like, well, I can do this, this and this, but I need help in these aspects of our life. And it's calling out for that. And it's having that gratitude of that support network that's around you. You're not in this on your own. Exactly. And being in the moment, I think, is, is something that is, um, is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot these days. And, uh, but I think it's, it's a really tangible and practical thing. It's, it's not thinking about something else when you're, for example, talking to a partner. You're not, you're actually listening there. You're having a conversation and not thinking, Oh, what, what are we going to have for dinner? If you're with a friend, is talking to them about what's going on in their life and not thinking about whatever it is that you've got going on about, about a game you're going to watch or something. So being in the moment really is about, I'm with this person right now. I'm not thinking about uh, doing the groceries later or watching a movie or what am I going to do tomorrow. It's really being in that moment right now, listening to where they are. 
saying where you're at. And, and really, that's what being in the moment is for me. And also, like, I know there is all the stuff about mindfulness. You know, I've, I've always heard about being mindful of, of where you are in the moment. And one of the things that I've really uh, discovered that was a surprise for me, that, that to me, really, mindfulness is about observing your own internal state. And if, for example, you go through like this, this roller coaster of emotions that we talked about, that going through being anxious or feeling guilty or, or, or threatened, what's really helped me is to go not to push it away and not to say, no, it's not happening, but to say, yeah, you know what? I am scared. And let me, let me just kind of feel how does it feel in my body? I can feel that, you know, I'm, I'm fidgety. I'm, I'm not myself and, and kind of letting that Sinking, letting that feeling go through has really kind of helped me um, settle it down almost on a physiological level, you know? That, that's exactly right. A, a lot of people aren't in tune with their emotions. A lot of people try to suppress their emotions, but acknowledging that it is okay to say, I'm scared, I'm afraid, being in the moment with that person, doing that whole mindfulness aspect helps combat anxiety because that mindfulness and being in the moment it brings you back to the present not what will happen in the future future we've got no control over yet the present we have control over so being in the moment mindfulness combats anxiety and it also helps you to pick up on things that you may have missed if you're worrying about doing the groceries later it helps you look at the person that you're with to see how they're going. You share extra special moments by doing this that you might have just skipped over. And it's like, that's what creates that strong bond. And it doesn't have to be with your your partner or your loved one. It could be with your kids. It could be with your friends. It could be with your work colleagues. Being in the moment. Enjoy what they're doing. Participate. So working through it together which takes you up to the next level in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, esteem. This is around self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others and respect by others. So mindfulness and being in the moment helps you with the confidence to know what you're doing at that particular point in time. You might not know tomorrow, but you know what you're doing right then. You're getting that sense of achievement that you can do something right now. Your partner or your carer is going to help you do that. They're validating that you're a worthy person so that your self-esteem will start to improve. And one of the ways to do that is, you know, I've, I've spent a bit of time looking at the work of Dr. Nathaniel Brandon, the, the world's kind of expert on self-esteem. And one of his things is about doing sentence completion exercises. So having what he calls a sentence stem. So something like, if I'm, if, if I get 5% better at being more present in the moment, then, and then you finish up with whatever comes up next for you, you end up with some really surprising results. You know, if I spend 5% more time on doing the things I really care about, then, and you come up with all the answers you need to really feel like you're more in control, that you deserve happiness, that you deserve the life that you want to have. Exactly. It's empowering, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like having that sense of achievement that I deserve this, I can do this. It's like you then show other people that 
you're not going to be dictated to by the cancer. So they give you respect for you. You're taking control of your own life and your destiny. And then once they show you the respect, you've got immense respect for them as individuals. It's that mutual collaboration. So definitely identify if I do this, then this can happen. Sam and I had to sit and go, if this happens, then we can do that. It comes back to that risk management again and that mitigation. If this happens, then we can do this. It's having that control, the confidence that you will know that in the future, if something crazy does happen, you've got the plan there to deal with it. Exactly. And that to me, Jill, is also about becoming an expert on your own illness. If you understand exactly what's going on, every step of the way, what are the possible options? Like what would happen if this test comes back positive or negative? Like what would, what would happen then? So that it gives you confidence in that you know what the next steps are. Uh, it gives you a capability to ask the right questions of your specialist. It gives you uh, a sense of being in control. That, that's correct. It's like leverage the experience of others. It's very important to understand what cancer is, what cancer can do to you physically and emotionally, what cancer can do to your support network. So find out as much information as possible because then that means you're in control of it. Leverage the information that you get from your specialists, your oncologists. They're the ones that deal with this day in, day out. This is the first time that you're dealing with it. Leverage their experience and it's being prepared for the positive and the negative, and then that helps you move forward. So it's taking you to the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the top of the pyramid, your morality, your creativity, problem solving, your lack of prejudice, acceptance of the facts. If you can do those, you've achieved self-actualization. You know who you are, where you are, and what you can do about things. So choosing your bigger purpose. Don't let cancer define who you are. You're still an individual. You're still your authentic self. You've got to make cancer a part of your life, but not be consumed by it. And it's building your army of supporters around you. And then you'll have a renewed perspective of life. Look at the little things. They're the things that make the difference. Be in the moment. Look for those positive experiences. Learn and grow from the negative experiences. But accept that they're all part of this. Know who you are and how you're going to deal with things. It's very scary. It really is. But once you come to terms with all of that, going through your diagnosis, your treatment and your survivorship, you're armed with what you'll need as you go through that roller coaster of emotions. I'm not saying that it's all going to be smooth sailing and it's always going to be in the same positive direction. Sometimes you have setbacks, but knowing who you can call on, going through all those hierarchy of needs, where have you been taken to at that particular point in time? What do you need to do to mitigate that risk? That's fantastic, Jill. Thank you so much. That's okay. It's been a pleasure, Joe. 